0: Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to Luke chapter 1, and we're reading verses 67 down to verse 79, uh, looking at Zechariah's prophecy. Um, We began to look at it last week, and uh, rather than trying to condense the whole prophecy into one uh, message, I thought we could... Uh, bring out some of uh, the uh, the language of Zechariah to appreciate uh, how he speaks about how he sees things uh, as he's led by the Spirit. So, Luke chapter one, and this morning uh, we're focusing in on verses seventy-two through seventy-five, uh, but we'll read uh, from verse sixty-seven. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Christmas is a time when uh, Christians celebrate uh, the coming of the son of God into this world, uh, the birth of Jesus into this world. And as we look at the Gospels, uh, the Gospels provide us with many records of how people reacted uh, to the coming of Jesus. Uh, We highlighted last time how there is the record of the shepherds and their reaction to the news of uh, the king being born. Uh, There is the reaction of Mary. Uh, There is the reaction of Herod and how he wanted to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem but one reaction that we could easily uh, neglect to think about and one that Luke gives his attention to as he begins his, uh, his gospel is the testimony of one priest uh, who served in the temple, uh, an older man by the name of Zachariah. And you remember last time we were saying that Luke's gospel doesn't begin the way that we would expect it would begin. It doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus it doesn't begin with the genealogy of Jesus. It doesn't even begin with Jesus, but rather it begins with a man serving in the temple, a man named Zechariah. And Zechariah was told that him and his wife Elizabeth, in their older age, were going to have a child, uh, which should signal something. because in Scripture, whenever God comes announcing uh, that uh, a couple is going to have a child, it is setting in motion uh, the works of God. It is setting in motion something else is uh, coming. Uh, you think of, for instance, Hannah, uh, how Hannah ultimately has a child. Uh, and when she has that child, that child Samuel now becomes a servant uh, for the Lord. But Samuel's calling, his, his greatness, is, is that Samuel is the one who will anoint the future King David. He is the one who prepares the way for Israel's greatest king in the Old Covenant. Well, now, Zechariah was told that his wife Elizabeth was going to have a child. And initially, he objected, wondering how could these things be. He's told that he'll be mute. He won't be able to speak until the time comes for Elizabeth to bear uh, her son. And uh, over the months, Zechariah would have noticed that his wife's Stomach, her belly swelled. He would have seen that his wife was pregnant. And he had lots of time to simply reflect on what was told to him. Your wife will have a son. You are to call him John, and he will be great. His greatness will be that he will turn the hearts of the people of Israel back to God. And his greatness. is is that he will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Zechariah had lots of time to think about that message from the angel. My son is going to prepare the people to meet with their God. And so as Zechariah, when he does have a child, and after Elizabeth says his name is going to be John, and Zechariah confirms it by writing it on a tablet, his name is John, He's able to speak once again, and it tells us that he began praising God. That the first words that Zechariah bubbles up with are words of praise. And here we are looking at what he is praising God for. Last time we looked at how he praises God because he has provided a horn of salvation, a savior, a king, one who has come to deliver them from their enemies and all that that entails. But this morning we want to come back and we want to think about further how Zechariah's language celebrates the coming of the Son of God is also the coming of God's mercy. You see that there in verse 72, uh, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. Uh, And so uh, Zechariah here is praising God uh, for the mercy that has come. But as we're looking at Zechariah's prophecy It's clear that Zechariah, with all of this time to reflect, and as he's led here by the Spirit, is able to appreciate the big picture. Because this prophecy, even though everyone around him is excited that this old man has a child, even though everyone is interested in what are you going to call this child, Zechariah's attention, his focus, is on much greater things. And so it's only in verse 76 that he finally comes and says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. But his first words are, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, that he is, he's seeing God's glory unfold in what is happening. He's seeing that the gears are turning now, and he is praising God for that. Uh, Someone was sharing their experience as a father, at being present at the birth of one of their children. And when their child was born, uh, that person uh, exclaimed, uh, Jesus is amazing. And the nurse turned to him and said, is that his name? And he said, no, his name's Nehemiah. But Jesus is amazing. And the point was, is that when he was witnessing, he was witnessing the birth of his own son, he was seeing new life before his very eyes. He was seeing something wonderful. But he said that in that moment, he couldn't help but focus on God's glory. New life that brings glory to God. Something to celebrate and to give thanks to God ultimately for. And so he enjoyed, he, he's thankful that he has his son Nehemiah. But his point was is that he saw something bigger. In the reception of his son, he saw God's glory. And for that, he gave praise to God. That's what Zechariah is doing here. He has a child. He has a child who means God is gracious. And he is praising God because he sees God's glory unfolding before him. And we want to see that uh, again this morning as we tease out uh, the language that Zechariah is using. We want to think about these verses uh, as he uses it there. Uh, the coming uh, of, uh, of the, the Son of God uh, as to show mercy. And we want to think about these verses in two thoughts. The attributes of mercy and then the aim of that mercy. Well, first, what kind of mercy are we talking about? Basic to the idea of mercy is the idea of taking pity on someone in need. Uh, it is to have compassion on someone so as to help them. Uh, but to, to, take, to ha- show mercy to someone assumes that they're in a position, they're in a, a condition of, of misery. And the Bible tells us that our condition by nature is one of misery. Uh, whether we feel it or not. Uh, our, Our standing by nature is one of misery because we are alienated from God and worthy of God's wrath. We are worthy of God's judgment. That's what Micah said himself. He recognized that the judgment that was coming was something that was deserved. I will bear the iniquity of the Lord because the Lord is just And so the misery of the human condition is is that we have rebelled against God and therefore are worthy of his just judgment. But the scriptures tell us that even though we deserve that judgment, God is a God who intervenes to help sinners, a God who takes compassion, who shows his mercy. And that's what Zechariah is celebrating here, to show the mercy that was promised to our fathers. A mercy that has been anticipated, in other words, as something that uh, the scriptures themselves say. And as you go through Zechariah's prophecy here, you can just see how Zechariah's mind is, it's like a magnet that is going back to the Old Testament. You see that in verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. And then again in verse 72, to show the mercy that was promised to our fathers. Uh, to remember his holy covenant, that Zechariah is, everything he's thinking about is is seeing it through the lens of God's promises being fulfilled, that God is being shown to being faithful. Many of you may know uh, the classic uh, book of John Bunyan. Uh, John Bunyan wrote the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, It's a, a wonderful allegory describing the uh, the journey of the Christian life uh, in all its ups and downs. It's a book that has never been out of print uh, since it has been published. And it is a book that has is full of scriptural allusions in it. But later on, uh, there was another uh, preacher in the 19th century, a man named Charles Spurgeon. And as he talked about John Bunyan, he said that if you ever poked John Bunyan... He, he would have bled Bibline. Uh, what was his meaning by that? He said, if you poked him, he would ooze out Bible. If you poke us, uh, we would ooze out blood. But what he was saying about Bunyan is, is that the scriptures were just in his very bloodstream. They flowed through him. Everything he said was an allusion uh, to some kind of scriptural idea or picture. Well, you could say something very similar here about Zechariah. Because his prophecy, as he's led by the Spirit, as he's talking here, his language, his thought pattern is looking at Scripture and saying, this is being fulfilled. We looked at that already last time with Micah. You remember how he said, the Lord has raised up for us a horn of salvation. uh, In the servant of David that we might be saved from our enemies. And how his language there is not only alluding to Psalm 132, but also to what what Micah himself said. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy, for the Lord will plead my cause, and he will tread down my iniquities. Micah believed that the Lord would execute judgment on his behalf. And there was reason to hope because God would come to save him. And so Zechariah here is just using the language of the prophets and saying what was being said by those prophets is now being put into motion. God is acting. And for that, I can rejoice. The Savior has come. Uh, The promised king is coming. And so uh, we looked uh, uh, at how Micah said that. Micah lived, uh, we highlighted last time, uh, at the end of the uh, close of the 8th century B.C., But as Micah goes on in that prophecy, a prophecy that does talk about God's judgment, at the very end of that prophecy, it says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot, and you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Micah said, He will again have mercy on us. And here as Zechariah is speaking, he alludes to Micah not only by talking about being delivered from his enemies, but he alludes to Micah even by the language of God having compassion on us. The mercy that Zechariah is talking about is the same mercy that Micah anticipated. But it's a mercy that goes even further back, as Micah, as Zechariah says here, to show the mercy promised to our fathers And to remember his holy covenant. Uh, The the, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Uh, Again, if you go to Micah 7, it says that the last verse ends You will show faithfulness to Jacob and your steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. So Zechariah's words here are really just God will show the mercy. He will will help us in our miserable state. That, That help is something that has been anticipated for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. You don't have to just go back eight centuries to Micah. You can go back multiple millennia all the way back to Abram. Where God promised that he would bring blessing in the place of curse. That when you read Genesis, it, it gives us the account of how sin brings a curse. But how God promised to bring blessing in its place through Abraham. You remember in Genesis 22, it says, I, will, I swear, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, that it was Abraham was willing to offer up his son, the son whom he loved, the promised child. Uh, The Lord said, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The mercy that was promised is a mercy that God promised to bring in the place of curse. Curse. And it is a mercy that extended to the nations. It's a mercy that was long anticipated by the prophets and by the people of God for hundreds of years. You think about this time of the year. Christmas can be very exciting. We, we may get a gift for someone and we wrap it up and we build the anticipation. Maybe we see presents wrapped up and just waiting. Uh, Or maybe we just think with anticipation, I wonder how they're going to react. Maybe we wonder what I'm going to get for Christmas. But the anticipation about Christmas really only lasts a few days or a few weeks. And then it's over. But what Zachariah is celebrating is something, the magnitude is not a few days or a few weeks. This is something that has been building For thousands of years. And now. God's promises are being fulfilled. And what is being fulfilled. Will have abiding consequences. Forevermore. So as Zechariah praises God. His first words. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Why? Because God has sent a savior. A horn of salvation. The power of God will be revealed. To save us. But here he's celebrating that that power of God is to bring mercy to those who are in a state under the effects of sin's curse. And so he celebrates uh, the fulfillment of God's long-awaited promises. But what is the aim of that mercy? Uh, We may have expected that he would just stop there. That Zechariah's words would say, blessed be the Lord God, for he has sent a horn of salvation to bring us mercy. Period. But Zechariah doesn't stop there. And he doesn't stop there because his understanding of mercy doesn't stop there. Mercy is not simply to be delivered from something miserable. God's mercy also involves being directed in towards what is good. That Zechariah understands that true mercy is to be in a better place and needs to be thought of as something ultimately positive, not simply in negative terms. And so he goes on here in verse 74 and he says uh, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. That we might serve him. That's what Zechariah is praising God about, that the coming of the Son of God into this world is to bring about the result of people devoting themselves in worship, in service to their God, and to do so without fear. That's the same thing that we read of in the Old Testament. Remember when Moses uh, goes to Pharaoh, uh, demanding that they are to be released The people are to be let go. Uh, The people are to be delivered from the hand of their enemies. And God's mercy is ultimately so that they might uh, worship him in the wilderness. Freedom is to be freed from sin and freed to God. That freedom is something that is positive. And that, that might sound odd to our modern ears because... People's way of describing freedom has shifted over the centuries. The modern definition of freedom tends to think about freedom only in a negative sense. Many people, if you ask them, what do you mean by freedom? The instinctive reaction is to think of freedom as to be free from all constraints. That there would be no constraints on my choices. No, no expectations on my choices. That there would be no responsibilities attached to my choices. I'm just freed from that. And now I can do what I want. But that, that understanding of freedom is very problematic. For, for many ra- reasons. But one reason is, is that it's, it's not workable. It's not workable because in reality we are limited by... Being creatures, when you make choices, your choices are limited by all kinds of constraints. One person described it this way. He said, imagine a grandfather who has two great joys in life. He enjoys eating whatever he wants to eat, and he enjoys spending time with his grandchildren. When he goes to his annual checkup with his doctor, the doctor says to him, you need to change your eating habits, or you're on a fast track, to having a heart attack. You won't live much longer unless you change and severely restrict your diet. That grandfather, you could say, is free to make his choice. But whatever he chooses, he is sacrificing at the same time. He is giving up something in order to commit himself in another way. And so just by thinking through our life choices, when we talk about freedom, it's not, it's not in an absolute, without any constraints. Our freedom is the idea that we are free to something. I give myself for something when I am delivered from a coercion or from a, a, a constraint uh, that is oppressive. But there's another problem with the, the modern thinking of freedom. Not only does it not become workable if we think of no constraints, But the other problem with it is is that it's incomplete. It, It thinks only in terms of being freed from something, but not what we are freed for. But when you think of the word freedom, you should think of it as a means to an end. That just like safety, safety is something you value in order to live. Freedom is something that you value in order to live for something. Freedom is not the destination. Freedom is something we move with. Something that we live with in order to commit ourselves to something. To make choices. And whatever you choose to live for, you are attaching yourself to. You are finding your satisfaction in those things you are serving those things and so in one sense we are all serving or committing or we could even say worshiping something the question is is will it ultimately satisfy us and when we turn to for instance the wisdom literature of the scripture the book of ecclesiastes tells us the vanity of life is when we attach ourselves we we commit ourselves to the things of this life That they won't ultimately satisfy. What does any of this have to do with Zechariah's prophecy? It's the word service. Zechariah is praising God. Because he has shown his mercy. A mercy that was promised from long ago. A mercy to be delivered from the curse of sin. A mercy that would bring blessing. But that mercy is ultimately so that the people would be able to serve God. To find someone who is worthy of committing their life to that will not end in frustration. That they will be able to live in such a way that they will be satisfied in the end. That they will see what life is for and not just what they're fighting against. Zechariah is praising God because he is celebrating a God who has shown himself as merciful and a God who is worthy of his very life. The Lord's freedom then involves directing us in how to live in a way that doesn't end in disappointment. It is in serving the living God. That's what's so wonderful about that statement. That God has shown his mercy to us in order that we might serve him in order that we might worship him. How will they serve uh, this God? Zechariah goes on and he says, they will serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all their days. They will serve the Lord. They will worship him, but not uh, with fear. They will not be gripped with fear because they know uh, God's favor and grace. As John celebrates in his gospel, grace and truth have come in Jesus Christ. And so now they can draw near to God, believing in Christ, that there is redemption and the forgiveness of sins. They they don't live constantly with the weight of their sin on them. But they come to God, confident of his mercy. Because they know the Son of God, Jesus, came into this world to redeem them from their sins. To bring the forgiveness of sins. And now they can come before God uh, without uh, without that shame. They won't live with fear even of their enemies because they know the Lord's purposes will ultimately prevail. But they will serve the Lord in holiness and in righteousness. There will be a realignment of their lives, uh, captivated by the Lord's uh, mercy. They will now devote themselves not to their own selfish pleasures or their own passions, but they will now live aligning themselves with their duty towards God and their duty towards others. They will be people who are oriented according to God's ways. And they will be people who serve the Lord all the days of their life. This will be an enduring practice that they're satisfied with. That it never wears out. Your Christmas presents. You open up your Christmas presents. You may enjoy them for a time. But they eventually fade. They eventually break. They eventually get lost. They lose their value. God has given us an inexpressible gift, Paul says, in his son, and that inexpressible gift is one that we will never tire of delighting in. We might wonder why is it that someone would commit themselves to the Lord? Why is it that someone would serve the Lord Jesus all the days of their life? Zechariah is explaining it here as a priest. He's explaining it here as someone who has committed his life to understanding God's truth. He's saying it's because he has discovered God's mercy. He has found one who is worthy of his commitment. And he delights in this God. He will never tire of celebrating God. A God who has brought forgiveness in and through Jesus Christ. One who has come to die in their place. So that they might be reconciled to God. Are you serving the Lord yourself this morning? Can you appreciate what Zechariah is saying here? His celebration is not just that... Things are going to happen. Change is coming. His celebration is is that God has made a way in which I can draw near with confidence in Christ. That I can know God's forgiveness. And I can celebrate his character forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about these words that it would cause us to reflect as to what it is that we are serving ourselves this morning. We pray, Lord, that we would understand that life is not only to be lived in the negative but ultimately uh, in the positive. And we pray, Lord, that we would know the misery of sin ourselves and long for the deliverance from it but also that we would long uh, to commit ourselves to you knowing you as a God who is infinitely worthy. So go before us now, we pray, and pardon us for Jesus' sake. Amen.